Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that values the pursuit of content over the pursuit of happiness. I'm James. I'm Daniel. This Dan. week, sorry, we're, yeah. Sorry. This we're going to talk about what we've been watching. We have some real news, or is it real news? In my case, it's more of a well-sourced rumor. And our main review is Top Gun Maverick, the top grossing film of the year. The well-sourced rumor. That's not the one we've just discussed about us knowing the Queen has passed away before it's been announced, is it? No, it's not. Okay, right. Let the uh, mystery remain. <clears throat> Do you have any Tesco stories or otherwise? Um, no. I took a picture of a woman on the, the, the tram, but let me explain why. I was sat behind her and she was watching her phone. She was watching a video on her phone. And in the window reflection, I could see her phone perfectly reflected in the window so as i was looking out the window it was her hand holding a phone and i just thought it was quite a poetic image it's not come out well at all it's mostly just the back of her chair and her hair it just looks like i've taken a picture of her hair <laughs> uh doesn't really capture the the sort of moment that i was trying to capture of the wind of the phone screen reflected in the window but you know, I tried. Sounds like an excuse, but at least it was at eye level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I had um, I had a bit of a fun-filled weekend. I was at I was best man at my uh, friend's wedding this weekend, and I absolutely killed it. Best man speech. Woo! They were loving it. Pretended to at least. So he didn't ruined him. Did you, did you just wreck him? Was it a roast? Was it a Comedy Central roast? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I remained quite tame, if I'm honest. I could have gone a lot harder, but it was sufficient. Um, and I got a big cheer at the beginning um, when I basically said, let's hope he keeps his mouth shut for at least two minutes. So, um, <laughs> But yeah, the, the best, not the best bit of the wedding, this is, that was really, really morbid to actually say, but during the ceremony, the woman who was organising it all, she came up to me just before the bride walked down the island. She went, is it Dan? And I went, yeah, yeah, it is. She went, could you do me a favour? Will you just go to the back for a minute and walk your mum down the aisle? To which I said, I'd have a job, love. She's been dead six years and she looks mortified. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Then she came and found me afterwards and apologised again, um, which, you know, was sweet but unnecessary. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was funny. Um, death is funny, isn't it? Yeah. But what have you been watching this week? I've been watching death-related content. Good, good. Under the banner of Heaven, which has been out for months, months in the US of A. It stars Andrew Garfield and Daisy Edgar-Jones and Sam Worthington. Remember him from Avatar, once the next big star in the world it's a crime drama it's a true crime drama it's based on a real murder double murder that happened in the 1980s that had links to the mormon church and it starts off with the murder and then 
the story of Daisy Edgar Jones, the victim, is told in flashback as Andrew Garfield, the detective, is investigating and interviewing different people. It's very much a programme about Mormons and Mormon history. And if you have no interest in that at all, just don't watch it. Do you not think? Do you not think it's informative? If you don't, it's inform- no, yeah, it's 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 definitely informative. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I'm going to recommend it. But I think if you're just going to go, if you're just going to watch it and think, why are we getting flashbacks to Joseph Smith in 1870? What what what's this about? You might get a bit thrown off. And it's based on a book. And I normally wouldn't suggest this, but I think it's important to read the Wikipedia article of the book. <laughs> beforehand because it is a bit random when it flashes back to that mid eight mid 19th century founding of mormonism and the the book is about the true crime story of of these mormons that killed this woman and how they got into fundamentalist mormonism and how there are connections to what they believed and the early days of, of mormonism and how it splintered off and you learn all about that in the program but if you don't know that that's what it's about going in, as I didn't, you might think, hang on, what's why is what what what's happening? What what is this about? And then when you realise, oh, it's about comparing and contrasting the histories and the founding of that, all that stuff. It's really it's very very interesting, and it's very well written. The dialogue is great and believable and delivered by good actors who really put everything into it and show lots of different facial expressions in contrast to the second thing I'm going to talk about. Andrew Garfield, I know we said it before, whenever we've ever mentioned him, but he's such a good actor. He puts everything into every scene. Mm. He's so good. And Daisy, Daisy Edgar-Jones, friend of the show, she's good in it as well, but she's just not in it very much. So She's shown in flashback, but it focuses more on the... Mormon family that she married into and these five brothers and how they became like they, they radicalized themselves basically and it's really good seven episodes I really enjoyed it it is informative as you say yeah that's it good, good. it's got everything it's got everything it's got the acting it's got the mood it's got the tension and even if you read the Wikipedia article and you see who who done it, it doesn't tell you who done it, but it's kind of obvious. And then when you read the Wikipedia article, it's more of like, right, okay, now that I know which brothers to actually pay attention to, because there's five of them and they all look the same because they've all got beards, I can now just enjoy the rest of it. Yeah, I only say it was informative because my understanding of the Mormon religion comes purely from the Broadway musical The Book of Mormon. So this was a bit more context. Uh, which was good, but weird how much they actually nailed a lot of it with that musical. If it's on near you, go and watch it. It's great. One of the best things I've ever seen live. Yeah. I I really missed Daisy Edgar Jones's presence in this because, like you say, she. I think it's like episode one, two, and three. She's quite prominent, and then she just kind of disappears, which you do if you tend to die. Um, but yeah, I really liked getting into the dynamics of her relationship with this family and just seeing how she was yelling with some, not with others. I think that's the bit that I was liking the most. I'm not going to say that it went on a downward trajectory because I don't think it did, uh, but I didn't finish it. I intend to. I've only got one episode left, um, but I agree with everything that you say. It's, it's thoroughly enjoyable if you like a bit of grimness. 
Yes. One criticism that you just reminded me of is that when it gets to the end, it becomes a bit more clear that what's happening is Andrew Garfield interviews a person and then they describe their interactions with this family and then it flashes back to the family. Then Andrew Garfield meets someone else, like someone deeper, like someone further along the chain, and they say, oh, well, let me tell you what I did with this family. And it starts to be revealed that that's the structure and you just feel a bit like, oh, Andrew Garfield's just like the vessel for these flashbacks. But it's still good. Yeah. Right, James, on to the next one, which sounds by the intro that you've already given it. Dyer, what is it? I've got to do it. The Lord of the Rings... The Rings of the Power. I, I've I've watched so many videos about it that whatever I say, I'm conscious that I'm going to be repetitive. So I'll say simply first, I didn't enjoy it, but I had low expectations anyway. How much of it did you not enjoy that? In terms of what did you actually watch? <laughs> well, I watched all of it. All oh, right, okay. Kind of, that's what you're trying to insinuate. Yeah, well, I did. I did watch all of it at normal speed. <laughs> but what is what is this program? What even is it? They've got the rights to the appendices to Return of the King, which, as I understand it, is a loose recounting of the events of the Second Age of Middle Earth. And the story that they've actually made up is 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 fan fiction, and the events that are depicted in the appendices are not accurately portrayed in the programme and there are Tolkien fans that are outraged about this. I'm not bothered about any of that because I've not even read Return of the King. So personally, I'm not bothered. My interaction with Lord of the Rings comes from growing up on the Peter Jackson films. That to me is Lord of the Rings. I don't care about the books. I just don't. And... (laughs) The miracle of the Lord of the Rings films is that Peter Jackson took the books, which it's like it's good. I just didn't personally enjoy it very much. He took those books and he just turned them into three-hour action fantasy films. But I'm getting off track. The Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. The story that is there, it's not like Tolkien. And the videos that I've seen, it's people saying, in this program, the elves go to Middle-earth because... Morgoth attacked Middle-earth. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Referring to like the fictional world of Tolkien, they'll say that's not what happened. These are real events that took place in this real history, which I respect. But when, you, when you're looking at the criticisms of it that say this is not accurate, that's the people that are criticising it to them. This, these, are, these are real events. The law is sacred. It's almost, it is a sacred text. So you've got to put it in that context when you're looking at the one-star scathing reviews of it. I'm coming at it more as I'm happy to consume the content if it's good. But unfortunately, it wasn't good. Why was it not good? It's because the story is like the elf Gladriel, the other guy, elf, who's in a human-elf relationship, the hobbit, who's just annoying, and I think someone else. Those four are just slowly discovering that evil might be present in the world. And it's almost like a serial killer hunt. But the serial killer is just this ghostly figure called Sauron. Like they discover a dagger or they discover a sign on a wall or a, or a, a, a cow that's pumping out black milk. 
an actual that's thing. The, yeah, yeah. Right. He milk he milks it and it's black. And he's like, oh, we gotta go and check this out. Very little happens. There's very little story or character development. The acting, we've talked about Morphe Clark before when we did St. Maud. We love Morphe Clark. And she's getting absolutely hammered because her performance in this is not good. And it's a shame because we know that she's brilliant from St. Maud. But there's no facial expressions in this programme. There's there's no acting. They've just turned up. They're saying the lines. And the difference between Andrew Garfield and this programme is amazing because there's there's no emotion at all. And fair enough, if they're going to be elves and be all cool and distant, fine. But elves is your main characters. And they're all so dull and they have nothing, they have no expressions of anything. And there's ridiculous things that happen, like the most discussed one is spoilers. At the end of episode one, Gladriel is on a boat to like go onto the other side of the world or something, the others into the undying lands, into Valinor, gets all the way there and then jumps off the boat and decides to swim across the ocean to get back to Middle Earth which is ridiculous and makes no sense. And the, another mo- highly discussed one is when Galadriel's brother gives a speech about why a stone sinks, but a ship floats, because a stone looks down into the dark, but a ship looks up. And it's so... It's just awful. It's so... Try, it's just trying too hard to be grand dialogue, but it doesn't make any sense. Granted, it looks really good. There's one scene where Elrond goes into... Mines of Moria, maybe. And to be fair, it looks amazing because it's not just him on a blue screen. Well, it is, but it's him. And you see him walking down this path, which has got loads of characters on it. In the middle distance, there's like this fully detailed scene going on. And then in the distance distance, there's like even more detail going on in the mines. And it really looks like he's actually walked into a massive place. And it looks really, really good. Better than say Sandman, where you can just see that they've just thrown they've just thrown lighting effects onto people and done a special effects layer. Yeah. So in summary, changes to the lore and the casting decisions. I'm not bothered about that. It's the, the basic stuff is wrong. Story, there's not there's not enough story at all. Characters, dull, performances, non-existent. <clears throat> I, I wanted to not not be part of this moment, so I watched 23 minutes. Um, and granted, that's all I've watched, but I thought Morford Clark was pretty good. But in hindsight, I think that's because everyone around her is just incredibly piss poor. There is a guy in this, and I just don't buy anything that he's saying. It just seems really, really hammy. And I think they have just just knowing that it is mostly apart from Lenny Henry and and Morpher Clark and maybe a few others that I'm not even thinking about it's a largely a cast of unknowns isn't it yes i think that's impacted it perhaps um curious if you don't mind speaking more about it you pointed out the scene that visually looked looks very good were you ignoring all the problems with it generally impressed by the visuals or the visuals are really good. The visuals, you can see the money on the screen. They've definitely got what they've paid for in terms of the the sets mm. and the CGI. Like there's one bit where the hobbits they're hiding in a forest from passersby. 
and then the hobbits once it's safe they all sort of spring out of these trees and it's all practical so you see these roofs like pop up out of the ground and then legs pop out of them and they come out of the trees out of these holes and there's all this practical stuff going on and you can see there's a lot of effort going into that and that all looks really good so it's not just the cgi but it's the other stuff as well but it just goes from huge massive landscape everything looks good to a small set there's nothing in between mm. there's no in between they're on a quite a large set that's got cgi around it apart from the mines of mori but you get the huge sweeping landscape that you could put in a trailer or a desktop background, and then they're on a set that has like nice leads on it or something. But it does look, it looks good, it looks good. But like whatever, I, I could I could just look at fan art on Pinterest or something if I wanted to look at Lord of the Rings pictures. Sorry to, I mean, it is it is the TV series at the moment, so I don't really care that we're talking quite a bit about it, especially weirdly when I've not seen a lot of it, but. It struck me as, I think you might have said it during your review as well then. Did you say it was a bit try-hard? Yes, the dialogue's a bit try-hard. I also think aesthetically it's a bit try-hard in the, and, and, and again, I've seen 25 minutes, take it with a pinch of salt, but it looks like they are trying to redo what Peter Jackson did. It's like it's not even their own version of it. This is, if we just copy what he did aesthetically, it'll be fine. And I was surprised a bit by that. I mean, I had seen a bit of the trailer and got a sense that that's what they were going for. But I think they've really committed to not doing their own thing, which, yeah, anyway. And neither of us said it, but if unless you live under a grassy knoll, you probably know. One of the most expensive TV shows ever made. Yes. Mental. It, the billion-dollar figure kept, keeps being thrown about, but it's not a billion dollars for this one season. It's $200 million for one season. It's two hundred million per five seasons that they're going to do, and does that billion include the two hundred fifty million rights, or is that separate? Oh, I don't know. I don't. No, know. I don't know. Sorry. Anyway, carry on. But the, those rights, it's only something like twenty five pages. Oh no, they've got the rights to the whole Lord of the Rings franchise now, though, haven't they? As well. No, they don't. That's what I heard, but I'll take your word for it because you're well more up on this than I. So, because yeah, legally they can't do much of anything they just have to make stuff up and i was thinking about the peter jackson films obviously because they're so much better and i was thinking about the cast and how you had ian mckellen and christopher lee and ian holm and sean bean i don't know why i included sean bean i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna include sean bean in that that those actors no matter what you give them they're good enough, they're experienced enough and they're professional enough that they can deliver a good performance with anything and they can raise the material from the barren depths of nothing. Like how even in the Hobbit films, Ian McKellen is still good, even though the film's terrible. Yeah. So so even if the Lord of the Rings, even the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings films weren't any good, you would still have Ian McKellen in there doing Gandalf. And just show, I'm sure that just having him in the film, it raises up everyone else. He raises the standard and he ends up being a mentor. And you actually have a group of actors working together and bouncing off each other and giving each other confidence and they all raise the game. It's like an acting 
troop, right? Whereas in the Rings of Power, you've got these four different stories and they're all smaller groups. And in Galadriel's case, it's basically all, it's all on her and she just goes through like these different disposable sidekicks into episodes and there's not there's nothing to raise her up and she doesn't have anyone to work with it all goes on her and it's and that's another reason why it's bad mm. no fair, fair comments um and i'd agree with everything that you just said acting wise um about that original cast but probably would have left sean bean out of it because if you put an intimacy coordinator in between him and material yeah. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't help myself yeah, um, you been watching anything else? No, I have not. Because of because of Zoom's forty minute time limit, we cut the meeting and started again, and we found that Queen Elizabeth died. So yeah, which was referenced up top of the episode, which now I feel extremely bad about. But you could say you heard it here first, but this well, doesn't get released for three years. No. Oh, yeah. yeah. What have you been watching? Yeah, let's move on. Uh, I went to the cinema this week to watch a film. It wasn't Top Gun Maverick. It was a film called Fall. Have you heard of this? Yes. And I want to see it. I'm very happy that you're talking about it. Okay. Okay. Uh, I watched it on a whim. I-, I went to the cinema not really knowing what I wanted to see. And I thought... Yeah, go on. I'll give this a go. It's got an interesting poster of two women stranded up top of a high structure. Um, I'm going to spoil the opening scene. So if you don't want to know, skip ahead. James, you have no choice. You're in this with me. Sorry. Opening scene, a married couple and their friend are climbing up a cliff face. It's very Mission Impossible 2-esque. In fact, one of them comments that the other looks like Ethan Hunt. So it's recognized and things go very wrong this woman's husband falls to a death and it's a very good (laughs) someone falls to death it's a very good suck you in moment i think but then the next 15 minutes started to feel like i've completely wasted my money on my cinema ticket because it's just her moping about the the woman whose husband's dying she's moping about she's depressed and it felt Felt like the acting wasn't the it was it was too melodramatic and I thought this is gonna be bad, but then thankfully it does take a bit of a turn and her friend arrives on the scene and she tries to bring her back from the point of self destruction by saying hey you know you know what your husband's dead but wouldn't it be cool if you just put your life at risk again and climb this two thousand foot radio tower with me that that'll help you face your fear and get over him. Um, oh, and I'll just film it as well for the TikToks and Instagram and all that jazz. So it it is actually quite interesting what this film does with, and I'm skipping past even the real premise of this at this point, but I mentioned TikTok. <laughs> this film has the most unique way to make female leads have the breasts on display that I've ever seen, ever seen. Because this woman's just like, yeah, tits for clicks and wears a push-up bra. When I said that they're not they're not exposed, it's really not the central point of the film, and it's weird that I'm focusing on this. Um, but anyway, it, if you watch the film, you'll know what I mean. You really need to move on. Anyway, they go and climb this tower, and through a catalogue of 
bad luck, they end up stranded 2,000 feet in the air. And it's very much a, a sort of bottle film from that point onwards. And to its credit, I, th- I think it in, they invent a lot of stuff in terms of the challenges they face and how they overcome them. They're not a couple of idiots. These are like experienced climbers. And I liked what they did with that. I'm not, obviously not going to give a lot of that away because that's part of the joy of it. Um, I don't think, given that it's kind of single location, it doesn't feel stagnant in terms of the pacing. You don't get bored, uh, or I certainly didn't. And I think they did a really good job of ramping up the tension and the stakes at every point. Now, it's probably worth saying, I cannot stand heights at all. Um, so that might not be everyone's experience, but I was very swept up in it. The The effects look really good. I don't know which was practical and which wasn't, but I don't imagine they actually climbed a 2,000-foot tower, but I felt it. So if you like the sort of, I don't know, people in peril with a combined sort of setting or environment, this this is a very good one. I enjoyed it a lot. It's, it's not going to win any awards, but it is a fine specimen of this sort of film. So in summary, it's about a newly single woman and her friend having fun on the pole, showing their chests. Is that, is that a fair summary? I think I've completely misrepresented this Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I, actually, one thing that I want to bring up, because it annoyed the hell out of me. So they, are, they have rope, but there's a lot of points in this film where they are free climbing, and they, they've got a rucksack here between the two of them at no point does either of them wear this backpack over two shoulders a la nerd wearing right one shoulder and i'm thinking if i walk down a street with a heavy bag it will fall off my shoulder like you are why take an even bigger risk it really pissed me off i was like just put it over both shoulders you're an idiot you're an absolute idiot it's the only thing that i thought i'd you pushing the realms of possibility here. Um, my only complaint with it, other than that, the fall in UK cinemas. I look forward to that being released online. I'm not going to bother to see it soon. I'm just, I'll probably get it on uh, Apple, is where I usually buy my digital videos. Exactly the right sort of thing to do. Uh, I wouldn't rush out to see it, but it is yeah. definitely, not even in a throwaway sort of way, it is worth his time. What else have you been watching Elsewhere, back at home, uh, I watched The Resort. Are you familiar with this? No. Not at all? No, okay. I don't, no idea. Right. Well, that is probably a huge problem. So th- this is a Peacock show back in the US, which it, I believe doesn't have much of a subscribership. Uh, but we're getting it on Now TV in the UK, which is how I've watched it. And that's what I've done for the last six weeks or so. I haven't brought it up because I was enjoying it a lot and I thought... I, this, this is very good, but has a lot of potential to go drastically wrong. So I thought I'll, I'll see it all through and deliver a final verdict. Um, as for what it is, it's a new comedy mystery drama from Andy Ciara or Sarah, the screenwriter of Palm Springs, which we, we both loved. And it's the story of a, a struggling couple called Emma and Noah. And they're played by Christina Milioti, who is in Palm Springs, and William Jackson Harper. I don't think I've seen him in anything before. But their relationship's gone a bit stale. They go on holiday together. Not not to rekindle the relationship, but just because that's what you do as a couple. And this makes a lot of comments on that sort of thing. Um, And it's a very 
it's White Lotus vibes at the beginning where they get to this resort, you see the staff members, and you think it's going to be more of an outwardly comedic version of that, which it, it kind of is. But whilst they're on holiday during a day of quad biking, Emma, Christina Miliata, she falls off a bike, rolls down a hill, and like she's in a bit of a daze. And then she sees this flip phone in front of her. And that leads her down this rabbit hole of where did this phone come from? Why is it here? Who did it belong to? And it turns out, again, minor spoiler, it's somebody that went missing alongside another woman 12 years ago in a tropical rainstorm in the same area. So she puts on her sort of detective hat from that point and she ropes her husband into uncovering what really happened to this pair of people. And it sort of reignites something in their relationship. And that might actually sound a bit of an uninspired premise, but it's juggling a lot of things. I think this show is is very, very ambitious. You've got this central relationship between the key couple. Then you've got the parallel storyline of the missing pair and it flits back and forth between the two um, timelines. And then they actually have the balls to throw in randomly some sort of fantastical elements to it as well, which, I mean, if you've seen Palm Springs, you'll, you'll know what I mean. Not It's not the same thing as that, but anyway. Um, it does do some really, really intriguing stuff, and therefore it, don't compare it to White Lotus. At, at the beginning, you can see why, and then very quickly it's like, no, this is a completely different show. It just setting-wise is, is what links the two, I think. And I haven't yet decided whether it does all of that stuff completely well. I, th- I think it's very funny, but there's never any sort of standout moments like there was in Palm Springs. And it's also got a serious side, so it tries commenting on love and what leads us down certain paths and how we want to kind of revisit those moments or relive them. And... I suppose it's a bit of, bit of an existential crisis commentary a lot of the time, but it is, without putting anyone off, it's, it's a lot more whimsical than that. You're travelling across like beautiful locations with a cast of characters that you're actually rooting for, but just, you know, there are some genuinely heartfelt and tear-jerking uh, moments in it as well. So Mystery's good. It's a good show. Nice form of escapism. As for the finale... I thought you're never going to live up to the expectations of what you set out. You can't solve all this. And they don't, but I actually think it was a satisfying entry, uh, ending. So, yeah, I'd recommend it. It's very good. Excellent. The Resort. Oh, now TV in the UK. So, you definitely not heard of that. No, not heard of it, but it's on the watch list. It's in. It's happening. Good, good. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why, just briefly. I watched Five Days at Memorial based on your... Uh, comments. I loved it. It's absolute. I think if anything, you understated how good it is. Absolutely brilliant. Are you up to date? I think I've got two episodes to watch. So I'm up to yeah. I'm up to date. I've watched six episodes. I thought when it ends, there's five days and five episodes. And when day five, episode five ends, we were like, what? What? Mm. That's the end. But it's not. There's then three more episodes. Oh right. Okay. That's just about the aftermath and the investigation and episode seven and eight is, is still to be released. Well, by the time this is out, episode eight will be the only remaining one. Oh, I'm very glad you enjoyed it. Well, the queen is no longer with us, which is news, but this is a film podcast. 
Should we discuss some film news? Yes. Cheap, cheap segue. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. Giant Freaking Robot is a movies, TV, culture, game, science and tech website. Exclusive. Taika Waititi not returning for Thor 5. According to our trusted sources and proven sources, Academy Award-winning director is not down for Thor. I did a gang sign for Thor 5. The only actual piece of information in this article is this. Our trusted and proven sources are telling us that Taika Waititi will not be returning to direct the still-in-development Thor 5. The reason? The mixed reception to the recent Thor Love and Thunder, then the article, continues to talk about things that we already know, about how it did make a lot of money, but it did not, the Thor Love and Thunder, did not receive the same overjoyed and astonished acclaim as Ragnarok. He pushed the tone too far and... Goes on to talk about how the status of his announced Star Wars is in doubt. Um, but he still has a good relationship with Disney. So there's no, it's just a, a trusted source. And there is a link to all the things that this source has said that have proven to be true over all the right. years. Does that make sense? They yeah, get, yeah, yeah. All this thing to say Batman cancelled, confirmed. Um, Amber Heard has been cut. Aquaman 2 confirmed. Hunger Games prequel confirmed. Like they're saying everything that we've said before is true. So this is also true. If it's true, I think it'll be it'll be good news. It'll be good news. And it's interesting to see Thor Love and Thunder when it came out, it was mixed reviews, but there weren't that many people straight coming out and saying, This is bad. It's mm. bad. But then some time passes. The critics that were paired off written about other things and the, those that linger and continue to think about it, they're saying, actually, this this is bad. And when you think about it now, it was bad. And when you speak to people who've seen it who don't do film podcasts and think as much about films as we do, which is too much, do you have the same experience where you'll say, oh, did you watch Thor, Love of Thunder? What did you think? And they'll just go, uh, yeah, but... Mm. You just get some variation of that sound. Mm. So surely, despite the best like publicity efforts of of the the um, the House of Mouse, they must know it wasn't good. It didn't get a good reception. Yeah. So I'm 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 willing to believe this rumor that they're going to move on. Uh, as am I. What are some of these other stories that he leaked, which proved to be true? Do you know, just right, just, just to a... see if I really buy it. Right, going from the, the top of this list. Shia LaBeouf confirms our Francis Ford Coppola scoop. Rosario Dawson confirms our John Bernthal Punisher scoop. Bob Alken Dirk's Dirk, Kirk, nobody too is happening. Our scoop confirmed. Russell, right. Kurt Russell, see, I did such a good job reading the article. Oh, I can't read the headline. <laughs> Kurt Russell will top line as Godzilla. As Godzilla, whatever. Our scoop. Confirmed. Star Trek Lower Decks is going live action. Our scoop. Confirmed. Brett Goldstein is Marvel's Hercules. Our scoop. Confirmed. I could go on. Right. Okay. It's so basically this... them. It's basically them saying we don't lie. Yeah. 
at least, at least there's some specifics in there, though. It's not just... I mean, this could just be a throwaway comment going... I don't think he's going to direct after how poor that film was. If they're naming actors in films and then them being confirmed. I'm I'm inclined to believe. So and and I'm I'm welcoming it as well because I just didn't like where he did push the franchise to be honest. And that's coming from somebody who thinks Thor 2 is the best film in the Thor fr- who hasn't seen Ragnarok. Gotta throw that out there. So I might I might be wrong. And it's it's extremely rare for the same director to do more than two Marvel films. Yeah. You, there's only, if I'm right, there's only one trilogy, and it's the Spider-Man trilogy, where it's the same director doing all three. Did there be some yeah. others on the? Yeah, two? I know that there were two before Ragnarok. You know what I mean? Three in a row. Same. That's what I'm talking about. All right, God. Yeah, the Russo brothers, they did four, but that's an exceptional case where they were just. I think Marvel were like, please keep making good ones. <laughs> <laughs> Something we didn't point out that I'm annoyed we didn't point out. Taika Waititi didn't write Thor Ragnarok. Oh, he right. He just directed okay. it. So then he's, they've said, oh, you're a genius, write and direct. And now this, and then you got what? You got Love and Chunder instead. So. <sighs> but a distant <sighs> memory now. Yeah. Couldn't, no, I was going to say I couldn't tell you one thing that happens that film. It's not, not actually true, um, but I wish it was. Um, this wasn't part of news, but I'm going to raise it in real news. I did some research for Top Gun this week. Name an Emma Watson film that isn't within the Harry Potter franchise that is within the top 20 grossing films of all time. Beauty and the Beast. Okay, right, okay. Moving on. Yep. I thought that was a bomb. Number 20 of all time. Beauty and the Beast 2017. Because people love the songs, though, right? They just went back to see hear the songs over and over yeah. again. That must be why. Not that people didn't like it or that it wasn't good, but I think a good amount of that is people just, they love the songs. Yeah, fair enough. I, I just did not expect it to be that high. It kind of blew my mind a bit, but anyway. Should we do Lord of the Rings then? Yeah. So we've already talked about how poor you think it is. Uh, and you're not a part of this clan, but it would seem that there is an anti-woke mob that is very, very... Did I say that you seem to be not part of this mob? You I'm said not I'm much. not. You said I am not. You said right. you are not part of it, and I'm Good. not. Just wanted to make sure that I'm clarified. Uh, yeah, an anti-woke mob who is not happy with the diverse casting of Lord of the Rings, which has led to a load of review bombing fake reviews, and there's been a bit of a weird, unprecedented move by Amazon in that they have delayed the ratings being published within, you know, the Prime Video app. And I believe, although I've yet to confirm this source, that they've also disabled some IMDb ratings, which will explain why there was a weird fluctuation from 5.8 to 6.8, as it now is, over the last week. So... Yeah, uh, just to add more, if you wanted some quotes from the actual Artigraph, which is courtesy of The Guardian, thank you very much. The review aggregator site, Rotten Tomatoes, or Rotten Tomatoes, as you like to point out, it has an 84% average rating from critics, does Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, but a 38% average audience score, 
Wow. It's had 17,500 one-star ratings. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people that aren't happy about this. What do you think about this weird move to delay the reviews being advertised within the application and further beyond? They've definitely deleted negative written reviews from IMDb. Anything below 6.10 was deleted. And there's only 74 user reviews on the site now. And there were more one-star reviews than 10-star reviews. And now there's more 10-star reviews. Mm. So, I mean, Amazon owns IMDb, as I'm sure you know. So they've manipulated it. Oh, I didn't actually know that. Or I did, and I'd forgotten. But that makes more sense now. Yeah. They're, they're just pr- they're protecting their investment, which mm. is fine, but... Yeah, you're not doing it for the likes of other films that aren't part of your studio house, are you? Yeah, is... yeah. They're protecting their investment, and it's as simple as that. But I think they're using the questions around the cast and the criticisms of the cast. They're using that as a shield and a smokescreen to protect from other well-thought-out, well-expressed, valid criticism of mm. other more basic elements. So in the BBC article that's come out in the past seven hours, pushed way down the list on the BBC News website at the moment because of other things that are going on, um, Lord of the Rings stars condemn racist backlash to New Orleans series cast, right? And the header image of the article, you can guess what it is. And then it's all the stuff about the the, the statements that have come out from previous cast and saying all are welcome and all, and all that stuff. And nowhere in here, in this article, does it say, in reality, you can easily see that there are other things that are being criticised in the series. Mm. They're just... I'm not part of the anti-walk mob, but... No, it, it, it's you see what you can see. You can see what's going on. Yeah. You can, and see, then... you, you can see that they're trying to spin the criticism so that then if you, if anyone does criticise it, they they have to they have to maybe back off a little bit or just praise it just for the sake of not getting in trouble on Twitter. So it's complicated, but it's also not complicated at all. Like it's just it's they're protecting their investment and it's cynical PR moves by Amazon to use people as shields to deflect from the criticism. And just kind of um, that the person who wrote this article is, is somewhat in agreement just uh, with the ending of this being Amazon risks charges of hypocrisy over its policing of reviews elsewhere on the e-commerce site. A witch investigation this year found that there are still unscrupulous businesses exploiting weaknesses within Amazon's review system, said whoever he is, I don't know his name, a consumer rights group director of policy and advocacy, leaving shoppers at risk of buying products boosted by thousands of bogus five-star reviews. Yep. And when you talk about review bombing, it's always the one-star reviews that are the bombs. Why the 10-star reviews, not not the review bombs? Like the, profitable. The, bombing, the, the bombing is coming from, from both sides which is even written in some of the 10-star reviews where they say, I am writing this 10-star review to counter the bigots. Mm. So those reviews are there as well. And very few pieces of content are either 10-stars or 1-star, Yeah, really. Not even really, really good things like Films of the Year, like Coda, is really 10 out of 10. 9.8. Yeah. 
<laughs> it goes both ways. And I'm not denying that the the bigoted criticism exists. Yes, it exists. But let them be idiots and, and ignore them and then just shut up because mm. you're thick. If you look, if you go back to 2001 or 1999, back in the early days of the web, and Ian McCallan did a blog about this, where he said that he had to face homophobic abuse when he was cast as Gandalf, which is which is one point. And the second point, which is similar to the Lings of Power, is that there were changes to the books that the Tolkien fans just found completely unforgivable, that Tom Bombadil wasn't in it. Frodo's too young. There's too much action. Lurtz, the main Urukai character, was invented just to give Aragorn someone to fight. Why does Aragorn not carry the shards of Narsil with him? Why the elves at Helmsteep? This would never happen. This is terrible. Why doesn't Shelob speak? This is terrible. All that stuff was unforgivable. Why was um, Arwen riding the horse and taking Frodo across the river? It's just woke. They just want to have strong women and have Arwen on a horse, right? So all that happened. But then it was so good that it didn't, all that other stuff didn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. And no one even remembers anything that was said to him, granted it was before Twitter, but no one's bothered about what was said to him at Kellen because it was so good. You just prove everyone wrong and you just completely annihilate all the stupid bigoted criticism and purists that just have to admit, actually, it's good for what it is. And Rings of Power isn't doing that, is it? It's not. Mm. It's just two hours you, and they could have just said, right, you've been proven wrong now, so just shut up. <laughs> But they're not. They're actually drawing attention to all the criticism, making it all about the criticism and saying, well, if you say this criticism, then you're just you a bad person. But if it was good, am I making any sense? This is yeah. the same. Because it's like with the, the House of Dragon had exactly the same thing said about that, right? The same stuff about casting decisions, the same thing was said. And people were building up for that to be bad. And there were people that would have done all the YouTube videos and tweets about how Game of Thrones is still dead, right? But then what's actually happened is people said actually House of Dragon is good. And then the, and then that's all that's been said about it. There's no but there's no focus on any backlash to that. It's just been forgotten now because actually it's pretty much agreed that it's good. Yeah. I, you are making sense, by the way, and I don't disagree with, with anything that you've said. I, I just think there's it might be a bit of an unparalleled situation, this particular thing, because you've got I'm not saying, I mean, Game of Thrones is, is globally, you know, acclaimed and liked. Well, it's not actually after the final season, is it? But you know what I'm getting at. This has epic fan base and people who've worshipped even just the, the books for years and years. So you've got that side of things and just some absolute dickheads on the internet um, just trying to cause chaos for chaos sake. So... I don't even know if I'm making sense, but just maybe it's the volume, the sheer volume, um, which which has caused a problem here. But I don't I don't disagree with anything that you've said. And, and maybe before we carry on for another thirty minutes, uh, we should leave it there. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll just undermine this podcast right now by saying the best stance to have is don't believe anything you see or hear. Watch it for yourself and make your own opinion. Still listen though. Hello. I'd like to order an opinion, please. Still this new fresh point of view. Call me sit back, this is a fact. We in the house, here are some hours. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. Holly.
listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Top Gun Maverick. What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special. Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Whatever. What the hell kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they going to get to teach us? Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage the expectations. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. Uh, do you have a comedy summary? Tom's Guns Pete Mitchell. That's what I'm going to call it. Um, yeah. After 30 years, Maverick is still pushing the envelope as a top naval aviator, but must confront ghosts of his past when he leads Top Guns elite graduates on a mission that demands the ultimate sacrifice from those chosen to fly it. James, what did you think of this film? Our regular listener will already know what I think of this film. I loved it. It was fantastic. It lives up to the hype, but I'll just go through my review bullet points to cover the basics. I watched the first Top Gun as well after watching it. I watched the first Top Gun after watching Maverick for the first time, and it does fit in. Very. I don't, don't. Why are you shaking your head? I'd already seen it before that. All right. Okay. Fair enough. You said for the first time. I'll, I'll rephrase it. <laughs> I'd already seen the original Top Gun a long time ago. Watched Maverick and then rewatched Top Gun 86. Then watched Maverick again a few more times. And it's it's a shocking how well it fits in with the original Top Gun while still feeling new. So it feels like part of the franchise. The simplicity of the plot is one of the many reasons that it's so good. It's a series of training exercises led by Tom Cruise, followed by the actual mission. That's the plot. And that, but tagged on to that simplicity is all the all the character interactions and the character developments and Tom Cruise dealing with his ghosts. And because it's so simple, it moves on smoothly in a completely uncontrived way. And every detail that they ha- do have in the film matters. Who is the target audience? It is a film for everyone. And maybe this is why it's made so much money. It's not a children's film that has out of place adult jokes about orgies like Thor, Love and Thunder. It's not a film aimed at an older audience that's actually stupid. I think anyone of any age can enjoy this. The shots within the jets are excellent and they live up to the hype. That was something that was pushed into marketing and pushed by Tom Cruise three years ago in a video of him at Comic-Con that I watched. And it actually is that good. And the difference between the first Top Gun and this Top Gun, when they're in the jets with the wide lenses, you can see everything. And it actually does feel like 
you're there. And I was literally, literally on the edge of my seat watching it for the first time. Is your back playing up again? Yeah. <laughs> the cast is superb. Tom Cruise doesn't just deliver a smiley action performance in it. It's an actual performance of a character that's been through a lot and he brings a lot of weight to the performance. He brings more drama to it than you, this than a, a Top Gun film even deserves. The rest of the cast, Jennifer Connelly, Miles Teller, John Hamm, Glenn Powell as Hangman, who I'd never seen before, they're all brilliant as well. They're all totally believable as their characters. And when there is humour, which there is, it's not so ridiculous that you, you feel like they're just actors winking at the camera, getting their like, Instagrammable moment. And it's so good that it's difficult to pick out one particular character or scene that is so good. It just it has this general, simple, fun, and in the end, somehow moving atmosphere to it. Daniel, what did you think of Top Gun Maverick? So I'll start with the controversial statement. I've not seen the original, which is a cinematic crime that is almost unforgivable, most may say. Do you, do you think it's unforgivable? I think it's forgivable. Okay, okay. Um, but what makes me able to comment on this film, you might be thinking, well, I watched a five-minute recap video on YouTube, so pipe down. I know everything that I need to know. And as a bit of the background or recent history of this film. Uh, it is undoubtedly probably one of the biggest surprises of the year in quite a few different ways because, as you alluded to, three years ago, I think we all know, but that's when it was supposed to come out, COVID happened and Tom Cruise has put his foot down and said, it's not going to streaming, it's just not. But he didn't say it in such a pansy-ass voice. Um, and <laughs> despite him being really firm on that, I don't think anyone could have predicted, I don't think, just how ridiculously successful this would be. Because this, from the research that I mentioned earlier in the episode, is the sixth highest grossing film in the US box office history, or 13th of all time globally. And that's beating Avengers Infinity War, which absolutely boggles my mind. Now, I didn't rush off to the cinema to see it. I, I didn't really have that affinity for the first one. So instead, I consumed it in 4K Ultra HD on Amazon Prime. And no doubt I've missed some of the cinematic experience. Did you watch it in IMAX? No, I didn't watch it in IMAX. Oh, good, good, good. Um, but I think it still pulls off being insanely entertaining as an action film, even in a living room setting. Having said that, you pointed out the simplicity of the plot. I was really surprised by how little action there is in this film it, it depends on what you would class as action i suppose so yes you get a lot of the training sequences which make up about 90 percent of the film but there is no enemy on screen and it relies on that fear factor of you flying too close to the ground or you know making some really outlandish twists and turns in these fighter jets and i did find that exhilarating but at the same time it's weird how effective that is because it's just a fighter jet because <laughs> If you think about it, it's the equivalent of watching an extremely bad driver throw themselves around corners, slamming themselves into a window because they're not wearing a seatbelt for 90 minutes. But it worked. It did work. And I think a lot of that is down to, as you mentioned, the way that it's shot. And you feel like 
they are in the cockpit. Uh, you are in the cockpit with them, as you said. And the fact that you can see the landscape in the background, it does feel real. I'm led to believe, as I'm sure is true, otherwise why lie about it? But a lot of this is practical. I think it's all the better for it. And it just goes to show, I suppose, how impactful that is. If this had been CG, I don't think I'd have bought into it. I'd go, yeah, it's fabricated. I can tell. Whatever. And for me, and I know a lot of people have said it, but it is a bit of a celebration of like a bygone era of filmmaking. You wouldn't risk putting somebody in this position now. You just wouldn't because you can green screen it um, and the insurance is probably too high. But Tom Cruise, that that's what his career has been for 20 years and more power to him, I suppose. Right. I've gone off track. The plot, you said, is simple. It's told in a very traditional way. High stakes mission, get the job done, internal drama historical grudges, few clashes of ego, that's it. Now, I think me and you have made a lot of comments over the entire history of this podcast saying that action films feel generic to the point of being boring, but it was the old school nature of this that that kind of carried it through. It's not flawless, I wouldn't say. There are a lot of references to the original. How do I know? I've never seen the original. Watched a five-minute YouTube video, I've said, sure. Um... But even even with that, it does. It never really tips over to being cringeworthy. It's done with sincerity, and and you can feel a love for the property. I think, and whether that's like the introduction of the music, which I did know, um, or some really cheesy lines that the cast has to deliver, it's fan service here, But I think to the right level, and it does feel very inclusive, as you said. It's film for everyone. I don't think you need to see. The original. I did not care about that fan serviciness. The cast are all good. You've mentioned. I won't go through that. Tom Cruise. I thought he was brilliant in this. I mean, it's not like he's incapable of a good performance. He's Tom Cruise, but I really bought into the emotion every time that he had to deliver it. I suppose there are moments in the film which I found even more emotional because, like, we'll get onto it maybe in spoilers. But there's a scene with Val Kilmer as Iceman, and you, you couldn't help but recognise that the emotion in that scene probably wasn't just as part of the film. It was like, look where their career has gone. They've been reunited. It was a very nice moment. It's a film that I think delivers against the odds because it's a sequel that, like I said, is accessible to newcomers, is still honouring the fans. I don't know how they managed to balance it this well. The fact that also I've not seen it and listened to the hype for months and months on end, I just found, I thought I'm going to be saying it's all right, but I really, really enjoyed this film and it deserves to be the biggest box office film of the year. That's my thoughts. You can see that they really tried, which is not to say that on other big films that we've watched take Thor Love and Thunder as Jurassic, and Jurassic World as the two recent other blockbusters. Not to say that people involved in those didn't try. They were very hardworking people. Mm. But with Top Gun Maverick, from the top to the bottom, everyone has tried. And the goal of everyone is let's make this really good so it's actually worth making. Whereas in Jurassic World, and in Thor, Love and Thunder, within that, there's an element of people there just because they're under contract. They've been left to just write and direct it or just write it because they've been asked to do it, so they have to. 
no one's really bothered what the script is because they think they can get away with it with the CGI. Whereas in this, and I think it is because of Tom Cruise's leadership mainly, they said this actually has to be good. If we're going to bother making this, let's actually make it good. And that, that runs through all of it. And everyone really is really trying. Yeah. And that, you, you'll have to keep me honest on this as well because I've not seen the original. But it doesn't feel like they've gone next level scope-wise with it. This isn't like a film that's... Well, action-wise, maybe, but in terms of the plot and it's going to be massive explosions and this, that, and the other, it, it's very, very stripped back. Like we both mentioned how simplistic the story is. In a sequel, you probably think, oh, the audience wants something completely out of the realms of what the last film was that's bigger and bolder and... This is, but not in that respect. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which, you know, congrats. I'm glad that they did that because I don't think it would have been as successful as it is. They've done a lot of similar things from the first film, just much, much better. And I think it's so much better than the first one, and the first one was so long ago that it's almost not really... The original isn't really relevant because I think we're we're too young for it to be part of us growing up and be part of our lives. Mm. So you can watch it without the first one really being relevant. Like there's enough flashbacks, there's enough information to to tell you what happened in Tom Cruise's life before. Mm. You might wonder why what is this danger zone song coming on at the start of the film? But it's just apart from that, I don't think you really need to watch the first one to have any enjoyment out of it. Yeah. And it might have some relevance. You or I could have been conceived to the first film. Yeah. I don't know what else to say without going into the spoilers. Then shut your mouth. Let's go there, shall we? Yeah, okay. Daniel, would you recommend Top Gun Maverick? No. Okay. James, what about you? Of course I would. Yes, I would recommend Top Gun Maverick. Let's go into spoilers. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. Tom Cruise is recruited to train America's best pilots to bomb a nuclear plant nuclear bomb plant it's got a nuclear it's got it's got a nuclear icon on it in the powerpoint presentation it's a threat that's all that matters you gotta bomb something and it's really hard so tom cruise trains them tom cruise ends up leading the mission because he proves that like maverick's the best man for the job they succeed they bomb the thing tom cruise and rooster escape successfully but what's more important than all of that is that is the rivalries that are going on so Maverick flew with Rooster's father, Goose, and Goose died. Rooster and Maverick still carry the weight of that death. And Tom Cruise feels guilty. Maverick feels guilty. Rooster doesn't really blame Maverick for his his father's death, but he pulled his papers to the Academy, so he held him back for four years, which I've looked up and it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Apparently that just would never happen. Then also, mirroring the relationship between Iceman and Maverick in the first film, Rooster and Hangman, played by Glenn Powell, they have a rivalry. And they get to resolve that in the end by having mutual respect for each other. Cyclone, played by John Hamm, he's the admiral in charge of everything. Him and Maverick have a tense relationship, to say the least. But even then, Cyclone has to concede that Maverick actually is good and they get to respect each other. And to a lesser extent, there's a, like Penny's romance stuff where 
they have a role. I'm sure in the timeline, Penny would have been a, te- like a young teenager when they talk about them having a previous relationship. But Tom Cruise, but Mackie, see, I can, say, just, can you just say Tom Cruise and Maverick interchangeably? Maverick. Ethan Hunt. And Ethan Hunt. Maverick, it seems, doesn't care that he, about his own life. He just thinks if he dies, it doesn't matter. And that's why he flies at Mac 10. I think there's a thing there where he's not concerned about his own life, but Penny teaches him to care about his life in the future and they get together. So it's simple, but with every character, they all have an arc. They all have relationships that mean something and it all pays off. Mm. Is that what happened? Yeah. Right. (laughs) Good good synopsis. Again, don't think you even relied on Wikipedia, did you, for that? No, no. Brilliant. Excellent recall. Oh, what what to pick apart? Well, not pick apart. I'm not after doing that with this film, but what to mention? Um, I have to say a standout scene for me, the bit where Tom Cruise, Maverick, whatever, he proves this mission is possible. That was such a good scene. I was, I wasn't on the edge of my seat. I'm lazy. I was laid back, whatever, but I was enjoying it a lot. I just think the fact that everyone in that room witnessing him doing it and all their reactions and just how tense it was, loved it, loved it. Not not a single, you know, oh, that's the standout moment of the film because there was many, but I did really, really like that scene. I was also going to mention that exact same scene and it's an example of how it was a simple scene of Tom Cruise flying from one place to another in two minutes and 15 seconds to make a point. That's it. And there was hardly any dialogue, but just with the editing, you got to see how everyone felt about it. So John Hamm was like, I'm not happy with this. This is all just with his acting. He was like, I'm not happy. What's going on? But by the end, he was stood there like, oh, he has made a point though. (laughs) Just with the just with the way the camera like goes down a little bit, and you can see John Hamm's reaction. You can see Warlock, the the other older guy. He's just grinning to himself because he's he's just loving it because he just he's, he's quite the supporting Maverick. And all the other young characters like Hangman, he's smiling because he he's he's like the young Maverick. He's really excited to see some something like this happen. Whereas Rooster. He's because he doesn't really like Maverick very much. He's just sitting and not knowing what to think. And then everyone else is just like, oh my God, this is amazing. So just the editing of it, performances, music, all worked perfectly. Yeah. So it's a good example of how you you, re- you realize actually all these characters have different personalities and different relationships. And it's all playing out just because they're all watching Tom Cruise fly play. Yeah. And I think, again, testament to the director, when you see. It's probably an unfair thing to say, really, but you see the exact same thing again played out within the actual mission. You know how it's going to go for the most part, but it's still equally. It's not like, oh, I know exactly how this is playing out. It's not very thrilling. It still was, despite being a bit of a retread of a scene you've seen earlier. Brilliant. Loved it. Yeah. And the way they extend the action and make it into something unpredictable is that they do the mission like perfectly. And then it's immediately forgotten about and you have the real climax, which is Maverick and Rooster stealing an old, I don't know what it is, it's an F, F-14. It's an old plane. The old plane from yeah. Top Gun. They steal that and then that's the real finale is Maverick just getting to let rip. Mm. 
onto fifth gen fighters in a in a dogfight. And that's the real ending. And it's Maverick and Rooster playing off each other, working together, and that's the real ending. And then, you know, Hangman making the Han Solo Millennium Falcon save at the end. That's the real climax that you didn't expect to come, but that's what happened. And I'm glad that that Hangman actually did that because had he not, I know there's a brief moment of respect where he acknowledges, I've not been picked, Rooster has, and he, he almost quietly accepts it. And I thought, you're ingratiating me further to you. But in that moment where he saves them, I thought, I no longer want to smack you in the face because that's how I felt for the whole film. And obviously that's what I was meant to feel. So well done on the directing and the screenwriting again. Um, but yeah. Nice redeeming character arc for him. Probably would still punch him if I saw him in the street, though, smarmy bastard. Yeah, I wanted to also wanted to focus in on that hangman character as an example of better writing, like better writing than Marvel. If that so that character turns up and he's he's just being a dick to everyone. He's talking to he's like bullying Bob basically. He just identifies Bob as someone he's going to bully. He gets to Rooster by bringing up his dead dad and he's making fun of Phoenix for being the only woman in the team with two or three comments about that. Now, if this was a Marvel film, he'd, he would just be killed and it would be treated as a joke <laughs> or he wouldn't be redeemed and he'd just symbolise everything that the writers want to shut down and and just murder and get torn apart or just get beaten up like in Wonder Woman or in She-Hulk. However, in this film, because it's better, he gets humbled and then he gets to have his moment and he still manages to find a place in the group. Yeah. And then he and he and he still gets to hug Phoenix in the end and they're all still friends in the end and it's positive. So you have this character that's antagonizing them, but in the end you get to feel positively about everyone and oh he's he's humbled and redeemed and we can be happy and like everyone. Whereas in other films where they, they think about thinking about their messages that they want to put across, they can't do that. It it's just neg it's just negative, and it makes it makes you just feel dirty at the end because you're just putting out negative characters to make a point. Mm, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I know where you're coming from. It'd be weird if I didn't mention it when I mentioned it in the main review, but the Val Kilmer scene. Um, so Val Kilmer, I don't know if you did you watch the Val documentary in the end after I no, I didn't know. Oh, yet. watch it, please watch it. It's so good. So, for anyone who doesn't know, Val Kilmer suffered from throat cancer. It's been in question whether he'll actually have a career again because he now can't talk. And he's in this film, and good, I'm glad he's here. But there was a lot of hmm, how are they going to pull this off and how is it going to work because he can he can speak. But if you watch the documentary, it's very jarring. I'm not saying it's very jarring. But in here, it's like, yeah, how are they going to address it? And they start off the scene and he types messages on a computer to Tom Cruise. And it's actually still really effective. And you can feel the emotion in the moment. But then he speaks. He speaks at the end. And I did have it in my head. I don't know if you've kind of done something with his voice here because I know that he doesn't quite sound like this. But they used I, AI. They used AI to to recreate his voice. Oh right, okay. There you go. It's not far removed from from how he is now. A bit more croaky um, in real life. But anyway, just very respectful 
I, d- I don't know what else to say about it. It was just a great scene, and I don't think under the circumstances they could have honoured him anymore or that relationship between the two characters. I just That's another standout moment for me. I did really, really enjoy that scene. I enjoyed it as well. And not to sound like I'm part of the anti-walk mob, I'm definitely not. I'm definitely not, right? But compare the Iceman scene in this with Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, where the, yeah, you've not even, I don't think you've seen it, but they, they, they throw Luke out, deconstruct it, make him into a joke, and then get rid of him. Mm. That's overstating it a bit, but <laughs> it, it could have been it could have been better to say the least. And in Jurassic World Dominion, you have, where you bring back the legacy characters, they just they just throw them out. Say they do their iconic looks, do their iconic phrases, have them run around a bit, and then that's it. Yeah, they just put them on the screen and think, oh, this is enough. Whereas Iceman, they. For a film like Top Gun, which is not even serious at all, to do it to do something that to do it that delicately and do it that well, just shows how much again, just how much effort they were putting in to everything. Yeah. Do you know I'd I'd made in my notes. So I do wish there was a death though, but there was. Iceman dies. Yeah. So yeah. don't even yeah. have that criticism. Mm-hmm. Because in the first one, Goose Goose dies just to give Maverick a little bit of a kick and a little bit of motivation. And in this, there's the bird scene, isn't there, where they get struck by birds, mm. and the scene with Maverick and Rooster talking about, you know, there will be, there will be more. It's it mirrors a similar scene in the first Top Gun, except no one dies, and I I was glad that no one dies. It just added to the whole positivity of the thing. Maverick successfully made his team. They all came together. They all learned to respect each other, and no one died. Let's get serious for a moment, James. Did you shed a tear at the end? Possibly. When I first saw it, I can't remember. I, I did. did. Did you? Yeah. Shed a solitary tear. I think it was, you know, like the the, the little punch that Tom Cruise does to Miles Teller's character mm-hmm. when they hug, when they're back on the ship. Yeah. It's so, oh, great. Don't know what else to say. So good. Yeah. yeah. So good. Such a good performance from, from, from Tom Cruise. Like another story, another standout moment for Tom Cruise when he says to Rooster, he goes, "Hey, hey, 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 you got this," and just the intonation of it, it's acting. He's acting. You know that he's thinking, right? You might die, I might die, but I don't really want to say it. But that is what I'm thinking. But I'm just going to sort of weak. I'm just going to sort of say, "You got this," and then and then go off. But then he says to the other guy, to Hondo, who he can be more honest with, he just says, "Look, if I don't see you, it's been good." But he couldn't say that to Rooster. Yeah, yeah. Because he had to keep the the mood up. Sign of a good leader. I've been a manager before. Don't think I've got that in me. Sorry. (laughs) Like, listen, guys, what you're doing, it's a complete waste of time. Go on. (laughs) Anything else? No, no, no. Right, probably should have said this bit pre-spoilers, and if you've listened this far, we may well have ruined it for you, but please go out and rent this. Don't even wait for it to appear on streaming services for free. In fact, do a Google search first. See how many weeks off it is. Yeah. Be a waste of money. Um, it's, but it's not a waste of money, that's what I'm saying. I said The Fall was a good Friday night film. If you want a great one, stump up the money, go and rent it. Yeah, don't watch the compressed streaming version, which will not look as good as what you've done, which is actually 
you know, getting the purchase, purchasing it and having to download it onto your machine and then watching it that way. Well worth it for the visuals. You know what I like most about it? It wasn't full of that woke shit. No, I'm kidding. You see, that's a callback. No, it actually is. That's a callback to what we were talking about before. Uh, That's being left in, just if there was any doubt. James, what are we reviewing next week? We don't know yet. We really wanted to do Marsh sell the shell with shoes on, but it's just got no UK release, so we're scrambling, scrambling to find something else in time. We will find something. The best option is looking like Pinocchio at the minute, but if we don't review it next week, call us liars. (laughs) Yeah. Right, thank you very much for listening. If you wish to leave us any feedback or suggestions of next week's or next episode's main review, you can do so at inthearspodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at inthearspodcast and leave us a five-star review and rating. James, what have we just reviewed? Top of God Maverick. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, There's probably quite a few Tom Cruise haters out there in the world. What would you say to these people as to why they should look past the mirror, the mirror, the man, and watch Top Gun? He wears a mask for most of it when he's in the plane, so you can just pretend it's not him. I, I think that's fair enough. That might and he, actually... and even though he's six, he's now 60 years old, he can still run. So if you don't do what he says, he will chase you down. Exactly. And I have a feeling that most people who still choose not to watch it just have envy. Because look at the man. He is ageless. Looks great for his age. Oh,